HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host on Beer Sessions Radio. It's our 14th year, and Heritage Radio Network is going strong. It's Wednesday, September 20th, 2023, and we are back in the studio. We're trying to get in as many shows in the studio at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn, as we can this fall. So this is a special one. Some of my favorite beer experts, personalities, importers, and, and, and brewers have joined me today because we're going to talk about uh, traditional beer styles and, uh, you know, some of the places that that are the reason why many of us got involved in the beer business to begin with, which one of them is Franconia in in, uh, Germany. So let's go around the room. Everybody introduce themselves and start with probably our top guest of all time. Thanks, Jimmy. I'm B.R. Rolia, uh, formerly of Shelton Brothers Importers, where beers brought in a lot of beers from Franconia, and uh, currently working with Joel Shelton on Inner Circle Beer Tours. Welcome back. Hi, it's uh, Bob Weiersberg from Transmitter Brewing. I also participate with the Inner Circle Beer Tours. Thanks, Bob. And you brought us uh, some Transmitter beer, too. Yeah, right now we're drinking the L1 Bohemian Pilsner. It's a Czech-style pils. It's uh, just under 5% ABV. Comes in a 12-ounce can now. Uh, all of our beers come in 16-ounce cans and kegs, of course. All right. Yeah, James Ty of Beer Acolyte and the Gun Hill Public House and aspiring attendee of Inner Circle Beer Tours. <laughs> I know, we're all lining up. So you don't, don't, don't forget that these tours are a really cool thing to do, and we're here today to get you pumped about it because we're all going to be going on free trips next year. <laughs> Pete Langell Fushimi, uh, currently brewing at Rockaway Brewing Company in New York City. Uh, and I was a, a, a special guest, maybe, on uh, one of Joel's inner circle beer You're going to tell Frank us about it. He was, he was driving around Europe on a motorcycle, and that's, that's how his story is going to start. And then there's a new, new guest that we've never had on before. Yeah. I'm Robin Fowler from uh, Wild East Brewing, a certified Lucre Tapster, and I took part in this last year's Franconia tour. All right. And... 
the I'm Joel Shelton. Tour guide himself. Tour guide organizer, grand leader, uh, former Shelton brother, and now running the, in what's it called? Inner Circle Beer Tours, LLC. And uh, I'm touched that all these people have gone or want to go. So well, as I like to call it, I call it Beer on Tour. Because you got to work on that name, ICB Tours on Instagram. You know, the name isn't isn't as good as the actual tour. You know, it's kind of like... Uh, a band with a bad name, but the records are really good. Well, Joel, let, let, let's give everybody the overview because, you know, f- for years with, with Shelton Brothers, you guys had some of the finest traditional producers of beer in Europe and you imported them here, but you guys always took trips and you're always there. So, so let's talk about the tours because you've identified, you know, s- certain regions. And I think everyone here can, can speak about them. Let's g- g- give us a little intro to the regions that you're visiting. Uh, well, the Shelton Brothers started because uh, some of us were traveling a lot, uh, you know, meaning myself, my brothers, Will and Dan. Um, we were just traveling all over the place in those days in the early 90s. And uh, I've told the story a lot, so I'll go really quickly. But I went to Brussels as a musician and I brought some Cantillon back for my brothers. It wasn't something known in America at the time. Uh, my brothers loved it. They wanted to drink more of it. They became importers to bring the beer to America. It took seven years to make a profit. But in the end... Uh, it actually worked for a while, as everyone knows, and uh, Cantillon was the strange one to start with, and it just sort of went from there. Uh, and the traveling was the thing behind all of it, was that the reason it happens because we were traveling. I was the lucky one who found Cantillon first. Otherwise, uh, everyone here has been over the seas a lot, and this is the whole point, is it's good to go over there and be with the people who are making this stuff, because some of these people are the ones that got us all going on this whole idea, you know, decades ago. Great. Who wants to start talking about Franconia? Well, let's start with Pete, because Pete, a couple of years ago, uh, y- you went on a journey through Europe on a motorcycle. Yeah, I was uh, actually in Berlin for Berlin Beer Week, and Joel happened to be doing his tour at the same time, and he invited me, but I, I, I didn't, you know, I, was, I had to pour beer in Berlin, but, uh, and my buddy Ethan Long from Rockaway was there too, and um, we realized that we did have a, a, some time that was free. And so we rented a couple of BMW motorcycles and took the Autobahn down from Berlin to Bamberg and joined the tail end of the tour. And it was amazing. They pulled up on their motorbikes in the rain at Marsbroi, if I'm not mistaken, in Bamberg. It was like a scene out of a movie, right? <laughs> it was the kind of movie that we can't talk about. <laughs> and then, Robin, so when did you first learn about Franconia? Actually, I don't know if it was the first or second episode, but it of uh, Beer Sessions Radio. But uh, I, it was you and Ray. So way back in like 2010. W- no, way back, way back, way back. Yeah, I was working at Resto at the time, and the bartender told me about this amazing. You know, I was learning. I was just getting really getting into beer and doing a Cicerone thing, and my buddy told me about this great podcast called Beer Sessions Radio. Definitely do it. So I went back and I downloaded it, and it was Ray talking about how he had biked. This amazing place out in the countryside of Germany where you can get on a bike or just walk. You can go from one village to another village to another village and you just have the best dopest beer. And then you go to the next village and you have another of the best dopest beer and you just go, go and go. And ever since then, it has been a lifelong dream of mine. It was a bucket list thing. Like I had to do this before I died. And he went to uh, on the bike with my brother, I believe, my brother Dave. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. If I remember correctly, okay. yeah. I think there's a video of this online somewhere. But <laughs> yeah, but so, ever since that, hey, Robin, when, when did you first go on, uh, go to Franconia and, and the tour? And everything. well, the, the whole the whole thing was uh, my buddy Adam and I were going to do this trip together. and We bought tickets in 2019, 
And as history evil, you know, unfolded, we went this year. Earlier this year, it just got postponed for three years. So it worked out this year. So this is actually the first time I went. And I'm dying to go back. It is a next level, amazing experience. One of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my life. So for the whole group, because, you know, I feel like since this show first started, there's a different, different generation that's, that's growing up drinking American beer. And when, you know, I started, it was the, it was some of the traditional beer styles of Germany and Belgium that, and France and England that really captivated a lot of us. Um, what is it about Franconia? Who, who wants to sell Franconia? What, why should someone go there? Why should someone drink it? And what are the styles that they have? Because honestly, a lot of people don't even remember. It's the Texas of Germany. <laughs> okay. There's, there's a lot of uh, beautiful landscapes in uh, Franconia, northern Bavaria. So you think of a town like Bamberg that was not bombed into obliteration. And it's like a fairy tale. I mean, it, it really is so old and fake. So, so old and real, it looks almost fake. There's two rivers, two or three rivers running through it. Bridges everywhere. It just looks like a movie set. It's incredible, but it's all real. It's, you know, this old medieval city. And there's the best beer in the world there. There's uh, that's Rauch beers coming from Bamberg. Um, and what about Anafest? Well, Anafest, yeah, that is one of the festivals they have. I mean, Joel is the one, I think you were the first one to, of everyone. Or was it Dan who found that one? Oh, the, Dan found a lot of these things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just, I'm just the one capitalizing on to it take right us now. all there. Yeah, yeah it's a, a lot of people don't know who Dan is, or so. So it's a fantastic festival. That's He's not in the room in, right in now. the in the woods in the you know the not quite mountains. It's more of like large hills where uh, they used to have the kellers, the caves where brewers breweries would lager their beer, um, like limestone caves, you know, before refrigeration. And so it just created you know in the summer they'd go up there have parties, um, you know, bring family, bring friends, and eventually it turned into this big fest where. Now, you know, it's it's just a whole it's a, is it a week long festival? Uh, it's a, it's more than a week. It's more like nine but they've or got, 10 days. They've got yeah. a little carnival for the kids with rides. And then each keller has their own stand, their own tables and all they're pouring all this beer. And there's like fairy lights around. And it's just a magical experience to just walk up this hill. You just follow a trail and oh, I'm going to stop into this keller. I'm going to stop into that keller. Um, and it's just something that just you cannot experience in the U.S. We just don't have the history of that. I mean, perhaps maybe in places like Brooklyn and St. Louis where they had former beer sellers, maybe pre-prohibition they had sort of fests around that, but not in the countryside like in Bamberg or uh, outside of Bamberg in Forsheim. Um, it's just, you just simply can't experience that anywhere but there. It's very site-specific. And, and the other important thing is that these uh, events and this culture has been going on continuously for hundreds and hundreds of years. So not only do you not have the experience here, you may have had that experience here briefly for a few decades, but you can go back there and be in the middle of something that these people have been doing since their great, 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 great grandparents have been have been around. So that is the main thing is that we're going in the middle of someplace that's not like this new beer culture that somebody just invented. It's something that's really a part of the blood and soil there. And that that's the most special thing about being there in person. Who wants to talk about the beer styles? Probably some beer nerd. James, Pete, our James. Cicerone. I think Pete could talk about it a little bit. I mean, he makes the stuff, so. Well, uh, I guess we're passing the ball. Um, I, I I would start with Bamberg, like uh, Bob had mentioned, the home of Relk beer. So that's smoked lager beer. There might be a few ales there as well, but it's smoked beer. So um, 
That's where uh, Schlenkerla is. And uh, how many other breweries are there? Spacial. 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 Most of them are pretty intense, actually. It's 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 not a beginner beer. Um, but we, Bamberg is all about rauk beer, smoke beer. And then there's plenty of good lager beer and Meritzen and... What would what what are the other specialties about? Well, uh, a lot of the beers. That, this is tricky because in America, and maybe James, James could address this actually. Because the funny thing going over there is that Americans like to put everything in a box, style wise, because we really have this culture of judging things and rating things, and it kind of has to go out the window there because all of a sudden you go to these breweries that have this amazing beer and it's just called lager beer or it's called spickle beer or Kelly beer or land beer. Land beer. And um, Robin discovered that firsthand this time that and I tried to make this point to people but it's it's really hard it's vague it's hard to explain it but it's they're they're not they're not they're not uh oh we're going to brew this style called lawn beer we looked it up online and we're, we're going to try our version of this is something <laughs> that their their great grand grandfather made and it, it there are different meanings and the meanings overlap and you have rock beer which is very clear it means smoke and beyond that it could be blonde or dark it can be black uh, so all these styles can overlap almost completely. So Pete mentioned uh, the Rauk beer in Bamberg, but in Bamberg, there's only a few of the breweries doing Rauk beer, in fact. And the other ones, you can find Pilsner, Keller, uh, Ungespundetis, uh, Lager beer, Fold beer, all these things that uh, are kind of vague for Americans. I think that's the big Spickle. lesson to learn. Yeah, Spickle. And all these things can literally overlap. And it's a really hard thing to explain until you go over there. And even you, yeah, no, yeah, and you don't even, doesn't even exactly make sense when you've been there. So that's good to be completely confused as an American because we always think we know exactly what the styles are. And uh, good luck going over there and judging them. <laughs> James. <laughs> yeah, right. it's, it's really murky. Like there, it's all these styles. It's lager. It's like each place, like the, it could, it could be, it could be a Zwickel. They're they're mostly all unfiltered. They, they're they're almost all Ungespundet. They're as far as the barrel stuff goes. They're all yeah. It's a it's a blanket thing. And yeah, like you said, we try to categorize it, and we're going to make a land beer. We're going to do this Zwickel. Are you going to do the thing? It's it, and it's, it's all it's, very localized too. Yeah. So a town, a tiny town, you know, there might not even be a stoplight. Might have two or three breweries, and the person. The people who live on the west side of town drink the brewers beers from the brewery on the west side of town. You know, they wouldn't think of going, you know, five blocks away and drinking what is in a similar family type of beer because they think they're, you know, the beer from their brewery, local brewery is better. And it's also amazing to see the amount of breweries that serve a very small population and don't get distributed far out of their own little, their own town. If at most they're regional. What are some of the names of, of the little, little breweries that, we don't see on labels here. Icorn. Yeah, Icorn. What was it? Monk's Brew, the first one we went to? Monkshoff. Monkshoff, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, Mon well no, Monkshoff is is uh, is one of the breweries from Kulmbach. So that you're thinking of Monkshambacher. I am. So Monkshambacher is one of our kind of uh, favorite beers in the world, going back to the Shelton Brothers days. Uh, Monkshambacher is in a little village that has about 10 people in it. I'm not sure how many people, because I've only seen 10 people there at one time. Uh, so... It, it's it's they're just trying a, to get Joel to move there because yeah, yeah well, they have incentives for you know younger people under seventy. To move there. <laughs> I am under Italy, seventy, I think. But no, it's paradise as everyone who's been there can can vouch for. It. And so Monksambacher is one uh, we mentioned Marsbroy, which is sort of famous because it's been it's been around the world a little bit. But it's tiny. It's a neighborhood place. When we first saw it, it was a neighborhood place. Uh, Spetzel was mentioned. The little rock beer brewery in the middle of 
uh, Bamberg, which we imported also. But uh, we go to a little one called uh, Schäuble, which Robin saw uh, this year, which you'll never see in your whole life. Schäuble? Yeah, other than, I think, being a total fanatic or being with us. And it's it's just as good as anything you ever tasted. Schäuble in this little village called Schlüsselfeld. Uh, but I, I could think of more names, but they're all just going to sound funny, Jimmy. What about Gonstaller? Doesn't exist anymore, so no, uh, no. not really, yeah. Things do change. Kiesmann. Kiesmann is right across the street from Mars. It's a great uh, Pilsner brow, uh, brewery. So some of the ones in Bomberg people will know about. But we go out. The main thing we do is go out in the countryside. Monk Sambach, we go to Bayer. Bayer is a place with world-class beer that you would only know if you happened to see that it was a brewery on the side of the road. So that's the kind of thing that my brother discovered when he was going there. And this is the kind of thing we'd like to bring to people is that you have to go over there and really dig deep to find the good stuff because it's not necessarily going to be uh, common knowledge. So a, a question for some of us who haven't had the privilege of visiting the area. Um, do these breweries typically have uh, one specific style, or one specific offering, or is there like a, like a, maybe about three or four? Like, you know, can you guys speak about that a little bit? Um, well, I'll talk about a brewery that we found on the, I think it was the Franconian Alps on that tour that you were probably mentioning earlier. Is that what you? Remember we did the hiking tour up in the mountains? Oh, yeah, the, the Frankische Schweiz, the, yeah. the Franconian Switzerland. It's kind of a goof because it's not really as tall as Switzerland, but it's beautiful. I, I think my experience was most were specializing and they were kind of traditional, but some were branching out and some were inspired by what they see in the, our you know, craft movement across the seas. And there was one brewery in particular called Elkbrow, and the brewer was Jörg Kugler, and it blew my mind. Just the, the, the atmosphere, everything was perfect. It was beautiful. And we were hiking up a mountain, kind of a small mountain. And the beers were absolutely phenomenal. And he had a whole spread. He had all kinds of styles across the board. And he was using some imported American hops and, and doing traditional beers as well. And everything was spot on. And uh, so, so it's kind of, there's a spectrum over there for sure. And I think most of the smaller ones might have about three. You know, maybe they'll have a... One that's more of uh, more rustic, a land beer, bull beer, zwickel, uh, perhaps a pils, a cleaner Vol pils, beer. and then maybe perhaps some might even have a vice beer. Um, but it really, but I would say the most most you see are like two or three. Usually, there's one uh, house beer that nowadays you have a little bit more variety than a few years ago. But when you go to these places, you don't necessarily look for that. Uh, you know, we go to breweries here and we think, oh, they have forty taps. Let's try is twenty of them and, and rate them. But over there. Sometimes you only have one or two, like the one I mentioned, Schäuble, I think has a light and a dark. And you don't really care because you love them both. But usually there's a house beer, and uh, you heard the word full beer, which means sort of nothing particular. <laughs> it just means a regular beer and you've, you lager beer. And so most of them will have one main one. And uh, depending on the place, Pete mentioned elk, and they'll have a few more ones. Uh, you know, it's branching out slightly, but we don't really want it to do that. We want it to just to keep the quality as high as possible. Robin. The one thing I noticed, uh, as far as styles go, a lot of these places, a lot of them had a Hellas. Like, so they had their house beer, then they had a Hellas as well, which is a lighter, brighter one. I, that's the one thing I noticed, as far as styles go. Yeah, we didn't even mention the word Hellas because I forgot all the keywords. But Hellas yeah, yeah. just means a light-colored beer, yeah, and beyond yeah. that, it means nothing. Yeah, other than that, it was typically what we would consider like a lamb beer where their local beer it was just, that was the one difference I noticed. And to, you know, most uh, 
average beer drinker, a lot of these are just going to taste like lager beer. You know, they're just gonna, <laughs> they're not going to be able to distinguish between all these styles. But there, there's definitely subtle. Like when you get into that, I remember. I mean, I only had the experience for you guys Im, used to import the the fall the the little gravity casks, and so I that's why I know some of the names Volbeer, Landbeer, and the different obscure small breweries. But I remember there were very subtle differences in taste, like maybe a what, what are some of the varieties that these Franconian lagers could 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 taste like? Like I'm, I always think of like this toasty bread flavor. What 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 would the toasty bread be? Well, a lot of it is coming. You know, a lot of the the bread the bready characters are coming from the malt. But yeah, it's a very full kind of biscuity, bready, but also some nice light sort of grassy light spices coming from the noble hops because they're using all predominantly German hops, perhaps some Czech hops as well, depending on, you know, this, this, the, uh, which years in the hop harvest, but, you know, predominantly would be a hundred, would be mostly German ingredients. And yeah, just a very full, they're full bodied without being filling. Um, and as, as Pete was saying, like, you know, there's, there's not a lot of difference between them, but there's, they're, each one has its own subtle differences. Um, and just they're very easy drinking, and that, that's why they serve them in you know half liters because they're very very easy to drink, um, and uh, it's 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 you know almost like a, as a session style beer. What what I love about those beers, and and I think what's missing in a lot a lot of beer when people talk about beers now is that yeah there's a subtlety, but they're also very drinkable, and and there's there's things you can taste like you mentioned a grassiness or a, a other subtle notes that that taste like you're drinking. I don't want to say liquid bread, but it's more like that than just beer. Yeah, what I will say is when you think about Franconia, and this is coming from the the beer judge and and that side of the the, the spectrum here, uh, there's a lot of Keller beers that are that are coming out of the region, and you know, for a beer judge, we're looking at these beers, and it's it's a little bit younger. Like visually, it's going to be slightly uh, hazy because it's it's slightly unfiltered. Uh, but then there's also, it's a young beer as well, you know, because you're serving it a little bit, uh, before, uh, complete maturation. And so you do get a little bit of green apple notes. So it's, it's a little bit snappy. There's a little pop to it. Um, and so it kind of gives you that freshness, uh, that you wouldn't expect from, you know, a beer that you get maybe in Munich. What, what about the, the brewing techniques? Because, you know, here in America, we talk a lot about techniques and equipment. I mean, there's all these little tiny, many of them old, small breweries, what are they brewing on, you know, and, and I don't know if you observed anything, Pete, or are you Robin or BR? I think it's uh, across the board again, but um, one of the breweries we went to had an amazing, like, a gravity system that was Gonstaller, which is apparently no longer there. So it was, <laughs> it was it, it, in a tower. It was a tower brewing uh, system. So you, it, at the very top, it had actually one of the last parts of the process was the, a cool ship, which we used, and we chucked a bunch of American hops in there made a beer with them. And then it would have a kettle, which would then gravity feed down to, or a mash time, which would gravity feed into the kettle, and it gravity feed down to the cellar. And then, it, it, so it was a very old style um, brewing system that had been around for quite a long time. And he was set up to do what's called decoction, which is a different way of mashing that's uh, pushing some portions of the grain back and forth through the kettle and, and doing step infusions to raise it, the mash through different temperatures. Um, which there's an ongoing debate as to whether that is has an effect on the flavor and quality of the beer. And a lot of these brewers are, in 
know, hard set on, yes, it does. It's and, very common in Germany to do yeah. that. And it's less common here for sure. Yeah, but, but a lot of brewers here are doing that now as well. Um, some are dead set on, for, on In your decoction. opinion, what does the, the, the decoction do to the beer? I mean, I guess it's like a recooking, but yeah, what does it actually do to that beer? You're developing some melanoidins. You're, you're kind of getting a little bit more of a toasty character, which you can try to recreate through some malts that have gone through a you know, higher kilning. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's kettle caramelization, a slight kettle caramelization from what the, the portion that gets boiled and then sent back in. And it's supposed to give like a slight fuller kind of mouthfeel. I definitely get more of a roundness. Yeah. And yeah. more mouthfeel from a decoction. I mean, they, you know, now the malts are much more modified and originally decoction started because the malts were under modified you kind of had to keep cooking them and to create more of the caramelization. Um, but, uh, and now people, well, now with the, the, the way the malt, malting is done now, they say you don't need it. But, you know, I've had beers that have been done, similar beers with decoction or without. And there's def definitely, I mean, it's subtle, but it's just, it fills your mouth. It's more round. Um, but going back to your question, a lot of these uh, breweries also have open fermentation for their lagers. You know, you've, you've got like almost a six to eight inch uh, Krausen on top of the fermenters. It's it's awesome. It's just like this, just piles and piles of yeast on top of them, and these these square rectangular fermenters. In addition to that, um, there tends to be. I, I, I'm not the person to talk about the burning process, by the way, but um, the tradition of of longer lagering. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's just a very basic thing. But they 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 do things there based on. How do we get the best beer? It's not as much driven by what's the cost of what we're doing. And I think everyone will agree that, that they put a focus on all these things we just talked about, but also the lagering. And so as everyone has mentioned, the mouthfeel is different. Sometimes it feels like it's more complex. You get more flavors out of it. Uh, the carbonation seems a little softer, things like this. So uh, I think the experience is very different from just the typical lager you get, even from the really best brewers here. It's just something in Germany that you don't get elsewhere. Joel, what, what do you like? I mean, you, you put together the tours. I'm in Franconia. What? It, what are the highlights of, of this year's tour that that you you wanted and that are there? Oh, the Franconia tour. Um, the highlight. Well, I always like to point out this highlight, which is funny because uh, one of my best friends in New York uh, came with me on this tour. I've known him for forty years. He's not a beer guy, and he said, "You know, you talked about this highlight." And I got there, I thought, "What's the friggin' big deal?" <laughs> so this is sort of a beer. Saw the crowds and on top of, of the beer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because it's it's funny to get different feedback. But um, a, pl a place called Bruley Keller, or also known as Shoko Keller, the guy named Shoko, which is sort of a nickname. And these are just some guys that uh, take work from a brewery, which is very common. Another thing that we haven't talked about that uh, happens in Franconia a lot, you get work from a brewery there, like uh, you fill up your gas can at, on Saturday morning at 6 a.m. and bring it back and put it in your basement and ferment it yourself. This is an old tradition that maybe happened in other places, but still happens. So these guys have a little club. They bring it out to their cave in the woods and let it ferment there. And we get to go there and visit those guys. And uh, as far as I know, pretty much the other outside world doesn't get to do that. So that I always talk about that as the essence of what we're doing. There are a lot of different things that could be called the essence, but that is a big one for me 
that were out in the woods drinking so this these beer. These are part of the traditions that you put things in caves and they happen. Now. Yeah, and it's actually, this is where the cave beer kind of thing started. And uh, that's a very simplistic view. But uh, to be, and Robin can say he was out there. And maybe Robin can explain how he felt being out there in the woods with these guys. Uh, this is this won't be X-rated. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, we're currently drinking the Patience and Forty Two Czech Pilsner, which is double decocted. Nice. To circle back from a couple moments ago. And that's from uh, Wild East. Yeah, from right? Wild East. Spring, well, yeah. excuse me, yeah. Robin. Yes, Robin, pour uh, me some, please. Oh, wait, I got it right in front of me. Oh yeah, I got you. Thanks, bud. Uh, I will say, as far as that. Uh, that Keller experience, I will. When people ask me about this tour, that's the one thing that I tell them. They say, "What's the highlight? What's your favorite part of that?" My favorite part is besides besides me, besides you, and the narration on the bus. Uh, <laughs> but just being out, it's just I don't know the name of it. Couldn't point it out on a map. We were in this tiny village, maybe four or five hundred people, and it's these guys. It's their private bar. They have, it's this hill. It's 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 bucolic. It's it's you're basically out in the out in the middle of the woods in this hill, and there's like thirty five I think thirty five kellers dug into the side of this hill. A lot of them are caved in. A lot of them are um, not in use anymore. But these guys they go around to their neighboring villages and they just buy the barrel of beer and they go back and they have their private keller, and it's dug you know about 30, 40 feet into the side of this hill into the limestone. It's about forty two degrees back there, and they just have like their barrels back there so on the weekends they're like you want to go drink yeah so they go to this picnic table out in the middle of nowhere at this hill and just pull out a barrel plop it down on the picnic table and drink the barrel i think we as a tour group we paid for one and the, the one guy was having so much fun didn't speak a lick, lick of english was having so much fun watching us have a good time <laughs> we went through five barrels as a tour group we drank five barrels it was one of the highlights of my life. I, definitely probably my favorite experience of that tour. So, Joel, is, is this off script or is this part of the tour? Well, I was going to say it was a highlight, but I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were all remarkably day drunk by 6 o'clock in the afternoon. And we started the day at Icorn with the head brewer. Who's the happiest individual I've ever seen? No, not Icorn. Look at, see, Robin gets confused because he drank too much. True. Hertel. Hertel. Icorn was one of the beers we're drinking. Yeah. Icorn was a beer at a festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what happens when you go over the year. Yeah, yeah, all these yeah, German yeah. names. It's so kind you, of, you know yeah, every yeah. single brewery, don't you? I remember Frank stuff because I, I write the itinerary, so I do nothing else in my life. Yeah, I'm getting confused with later uh, from the Keller Festival, the Icorn. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. James, I, I'm getting lost now. What, <laughs> what, what do you want to know that makes you want to go? Because I, I'm like, I want to go to the Kellers. I, I actually would like to see the Krausen on Cap. And if, if I tasted it, what does the Krausen taste like? Does it taste like beer? Does it taste like yeast? Probably it, not very good. <laughs> not good. Yeah. No, not, really? No, really? Not. What is the Krausen, just so I know? It's yeast. It's yeast and trube. Um, Have Vegemite. Brown Huff is the <laughs> kind of dirty yeast. So it's what Vegemite could be. Yeah, it's not good, and it's uh, yeah. it's quite bitter as well. And then, Bob, just go back. You poured the, the Transmitter Pilsner, and tell me what it is, because is that what a Franconia beer would taste like? No, what is it's a Czech style? pills. <laughs> it's, well, it's Bohemian, but... We also had, we also had, and, and don't worry, we're talking about the Wild East beer too. I don't want to, I don't want to hog the mic here. The, um... Bob, you but, represented the transmitter, please talk about it. So, we, we, <laughs> in between the two, we had, a uh, we had the transmitter Merzen, aka Oktoberfest, which is a 6.5% ABV multi amber lager, it's available now in uh, you know sixty ounce cans and kegs. 
uh, for a limited time only. Uh, that's a real malty, delicious, but balanced beer. Do you guys do decoction? Uh, we don't do the decoction. We leave that to Wild East. They do a great job. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but this is a traditional old school Oktoberfest beer. It's not like the modern style. Uh, the brewers at uh, Transmitter wanted to make a beer that was more like the pre-1970s style. So richer, deeper, more malty, amber, uh, more authentic to the 18, 1800s uh, era or early 1900s era. Yeah. So what I will say about this, and I had it's, it's very delicious, Bob. I think it's an excellent beer. Um, I, I think some of the uh, the newer Mertzens that are out there, um, newer being a very relative term, but uh, they can get a little bit cloying and they can get like really just kind of they just stick on the palate and what i'll say about this one it's it's very clean it finishes really dry um and it is really kind of true to that old meriton style and kudos to transmitter for making this beer agreed but don't, let, let's not forget about wild east d- delicious we'll get, to wild east. We'll get there but it, it's we also did a show with with uh brett from wild east it's going to be airing soon um all right, I'm, I'm trying to get you guys to talk more, just so you know. I have, well, we haven't had a full the, studio. What about our, the other Inner Circle Beer Tours? Well, tours. Let's go to that. But well, let's, let's just, I want to f- wrap up with, with Franconia. I'm still not sold on it. I, I'd like to go <laughs> look at what the What are you cal- kidding me? I want to go to the Kellers. I want to see uh, the who's the guy from Mars? What's his name? Stefan from Mars. Do his shtick with, with the. Stefan's, uh, Stefan's not involved with the Mars Brewery anymore. He's not. Things changed, Jimmy. Even he in once Franconia. did a show with his later hose and explained how he went to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, but you don't want to be anywhere near those later hosen at this point. <clears throat> Jimmy, can we also? Well, for you, you'd enjoy the sausages. You'd enjoy the the, the cuisine. You know, very hearty German cuisine. So there's food too. There's oh yeah. Well, uh, we, yeah, we, we include food. Aren't selling this hard enough. We have Come food on. every day on the tour. I mean, Franconia <laughs> sounds great. Unlike the, uh, great. Where the Shelton brothers used to travel, we have food every day on the tour. We have to make a concession to normal people. Yes. It's the, the best place to get a rusticata flesh batter is uh, the Franconian beer tour. My favorite. And by the way, the Anifest, uh there's only one drinking vessel, and it's a liter uh, mug. That's so true. Yeah. You will also experience the best bus drivers on the planet. <laughs> so, Rob, since you went, when did you go on the tour? Oh, that was July. That was uh, yeah, end of July into August. Okay. So just tell us start to finish. You flew to Germany. I did. I flew to Prague. And then I took, and then I did that. And I went to Bomberg for five days. What did you do in Prague, Rob? I, I did. I went to Pilsen for five days, and I uh, I studied at the Luker, the Perfect Pour Academy. Yeah, so you learn how to maintain. You learn how to serve the, the the whole Czech style service. It's a it's a whole thing from nuts and bolts. And, we, and we're due everything. to have you back to t- to do a Czech style yeah, show we, in the future. That, that, that's okay. So back this is we're going to talk about styles because I'm getting confused. <laughs> uh, transmitters making a bohemian style pills. Now we can read the book about pills, but you're going to talk to me about it. You just learned how to pour in, in the pills in style. How is the bohemian pills from from that transmitter made different from the lagers that you guys are drinking in Franconia? And should Franconia James's Franconia lager is that a style in your beer judging? Those are different styles of lager. Right, yeah. So, like, Franconia is like a region, and there's there's certain styles. I mean, if you're looking at it from the beer judge perspective, there are different styles that are uh, that are prominent within the region, uh, where where the Bohemian Pilsner kind of 
differs, uh, I mean, just really quickly, decoction mashing exists in, in a Bohemian Pilsner. Uh, you do talk about a yeast strain that does kind of kick off a little bit of diacetyl, which you get a little bit of buttery note to it as well. Uh, Sotzer hops are, are pretty much de rigueur when you're talking about this particular style. So you're getting a little bit of almost like rosemary, herb de Provence kind of hints to it. Um, and then lastly is, what, what's the one thing that I was going to say about it? I don't even remember right now. They're a bit crisper and snappier. Uh, they are. You know oh, and also the perceived bitterness is lower, even though IBU range is typically higher. Um, and so that's that is due to the decoction mashing as well. But the Pilsner in in Czech Republic, I think, is usually sort of fuller than the, than the one that you see in Germany. So that would make it seem less hoppy because the effect of most beers in in Czech Republic is malt maltiness. Absolutely, think, it's, yeah. it's much more malt forward. Correct. Some some Czech brewers are using unmalted barley. That's going to give it a more fuller mouthfeel and better head retention as well. And it, it's a different fermentation profile, and it's much colder actually, which is why there's that residual diacetyl. They're not warming it up, and they're moving the beer. They have, we we saw the book when we were in the Czech uh, portion of the tour. There's a very like detailed fermentation profile for these traditional Czech lagers, and it's like everyone's doing it over there. And it's also open fermentation. And don't forget the water profile. It's yeah. unique in uh, in that part of uh, Bohemia. Profile of zero. There's like nothing in the water there. <laughs> And this just points out a thing that, that a lot of the uh, all the key ingredients to making great lager beer come uh, or come free there. I mean, there's 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 the water, there's the malt, uh, the barley that grows there, there's the hops. So there's a reason why the beer uh, our tour is called the motherland of beer. There's a reason uh, we're talking this huge area between Czech Republic and Franconia and Bavaria, but uh, th historically that's why that stuff comes from there, and also because of the caves and the lagering and all this stuff. So. Uh, that's a big, broad subject. But uh, Pete mentioned uh, the Czech part of the tour, but that was something that we just did casually, Oops. which you have to be friends with me to do. But uh, we haven't done a Czech tour yet, but we'll talk about you it. Should. You definitely should. Well, we also, did, we, we did add, a preliminary tour. Yeah. I might add, in the Czech Republic, it definitely depends on how they pour the beer. It is a, is a, it's a mouthfeel. It's a foam to beer ratio. It is a completely different animal. And Robin is, the show, Robin is the expert, but Robin, he's going to talk next back. time. We're gonna we'll talk. Talk. We'll come I, I wanna, back. You got to sell me on the tour, sell me on Franconia. So well, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back and talk about some of the other tours and ICB tours on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. 
Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Hey, welcome. That's our 14th year on Beer Sessions Radio. Support us and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. And hey, we haven't given enough shouts out to Roberta's Pizza, the OG location on Moore Street in Bushwick, Brooklyn. We're here back in the studio, which is where this all began and happened. I'm looking around the room. Uh, BR, Roya, and, and Bob, and Joel Shelton have been on, and James Ty, and Pete Langle and our, our new friend Robin Fowler. But James is wearing a T-shirt from The Judgment of Brooklyn, which oh, I remember was from uh, Mike from Bedvine Brew. It was 2014, and at the time Eric Adams was the Brooklyn Borough Brooklyn president. Borough president, right? And he agreed to host a beer a beer event in the cupola of the Brooklyn Borough Hall. So th- yep. thanks for wearing that, man. I think oh, you picked man. that out for us. Were we ever that young, Jimmy? I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> you still those look days. the same, but there, we do. We, we'll put a picture up of of, of you and, and toasting. But Br, you, you guys are. There's other tours besides Franconia. Oh, I'm, yes. I'm not trying to mash it, mash it up, but um, I, I really loved hearing you guys dive a little deeper into Franconia and the in the beer style. Well, one more traditions. thing to sell you on Franconia, although you're not a brewer, so maybe it's not as exciting, but um, Vireman Malting, which is one of the largest, uh, or I would say more, one of the most well-known German maltsters, is located in Bamberg. And we, I don't know, Joel, does this happen on every tour? There are occasionally visits to Vireman. Well, we try to make it an official part of the tour. It, it, every In this business, it's hard to get everyone to be sure that they can do things. There. Especially in the summer. <laughs> yeah, in Europe, it's strange. But uh, yeah, we did, We went, we had two different groups going there this year because they only want small groups. But it's so, fantastic coming into yeah. the first time I was in Bamberg. Uh, we were there, Bob and I were there in the in the 90s and pulling in on the train and like, like it smells like brewing. And they open up the train window, like you could just smell the air was full of malt. It was just amazing. But uh, it's just there's another to try to entice you into. Uh, it is one of my favorite things about going into, a, especially a small brewery, is the smell of the malt and whatever that smell is. I love it. But for other tours, uh, I would say that Franconia was the first tour that was started. Um, I can't remember when the original, how many years that had been going on prior. We did the sort of the industry one that Pete was on. Before opening up to the yeah, the we general did two public. or three years of industry tours, mainly industry people, including our own people. And uh, the next thing we did was go to Belgium and France. Belgium and France, Belgium, and northern France. Uh, now doing Catalonia, uh, outside you know around Barcelona, uh, Scotland. This year was the first year for Scotland. Um, Earlier this year, you, you did come on and talk about. Yeah, that. we just did that one for the first time, and it was really fun, really fun, and good chance for me to learn a bit about whiskey, which I've been meaning to do for about 50 years. Wow. Well, let's talk, let's talk about the, so, so Bob and Beer, you guys are, you're working on the Belgian and France. The Belgian and France one. Yeah. So at Shelton Brothers, I managed our French breweries. So I already had connections with the brewers there. Uh, so we try to visit, you know, it's the smaller breweries, mostly ones that uh, we had imported through Shelton Brothers. Um, also visit some different, so, some other ones that we've, we've gotten to meet or some unique things that we don't go to all the, the big ones. You know, there are other tours that do some of the bigger ones and there's, you know, those are very interesting ones, but we go to the ones where we have, it's also uh, and part of the, it's all, all of the tours. It's um, the relationships that we have with the brewers, um, you know, that we almost consider them family or friends. Um, so when we go, it's, you know, it's a very warm welcome. It's not just simply some 
guy who's like, yeah, I'm, you know, the head of marketing. and I'm going to give you the tour of the brewery. You know, it's the people who are and there's actually, a window you can look and see the brewing. Right. Yeah. And here's here's a tasting. And that's it. It's, you know, press this button and you can hear a description. Yeah, we would have no interest in, in leading such a thing. And the whole point is to get to experience what we got to experience as privileged uh, people in the business, you know, Shelton Brothers. And uh, we, we got to go get to know these people over decades and to visit them as friends. So it's Inner and, Circle Beer Tours. Yeah, that's the name. And, the, um, and I, again, now I get it. There's not much. Yeah, <laughs> I, I get it, it now. It, it used to be called Insider Beer Tours with, with Shelton Brothers. I had to change it. But uh, yeah, it's hard to come up with a better name. But the, the, the idea is that, that we go over there and these are our friends and uh, almost like family. And so the, it's hard to explain that until you've actually been there. I mean, Robin could maybe tell you what it feels like to go there when we arrive at these places compared to what maybe another tour would feel like. I haven't been on another tour. Oh, exactly. That's why you never will. <laughs> I actually really want to do the Belgium one. That sounds like a lot. So, so let's hear more about the Belgian because we, we're, 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 my, my mouth is wet for the Franconia. But Belgian, what do you want to know about the Belgian tour? Like, do you care like which breweries it goes to, or are there like other? At some point, I, don't you hit too many breweries in one tour? Or is that impossible? I, I think that's impossible, especially when you get out to like the. So I, I imagine you go to smaller regions. You get to get to visit the smaller ones. It's pretty. It's it's almost is it is it. I imagine it's similar to the Franconia one, where you're going like the lesser known. It is, but also you know, on a very practical level, we've got a bus. Like these are not yeah. breweries that you can get to by public transportation. You're going to have to rent a car, and of course, if you rent a car, you're not going to want to be drinking too we much. We don't have to bike thirty miles a day. Not that we want to encourage over drinking, but it's something where like you just cannot get to these places unless you have a car, and the roads are can be these small, small roads can be you know one lane, the bus barely fits. I don't know. You haven't been on the, you haven't seen our Belgium uh, and France bus driver. Probably got an idea in Germany this summer where we got stuck for a long time in the middle of Grafenberg trying to get to our brewery hike. And it was pretty funny because we were stuck in a medieval street and being directed by half the town. So, Oh, like in Cassel uh, through the arch in the town? Yes. And these are part of the experiences that, that we want to impart because it's, it's not about having the slickest thing that goes perfect. It's about, the things you deal with as a normal person trying to get to the best places, which is always a challenge. And that should be felt like it's a little bit of work you have to do to get there. Yeah. They, 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 the townsfolk came out. It was almost like a lunchtime event. They had to, and they actually had to change the infrastructure briefly to the town square to get us to be, to be able to do a U-turn. Because you had around. a bus. Because we had a bus. And how many people are on the bus? There were 32 of us on this trip. Yeah. And what about for Belgium and France? Yeah, it's a similar similar number. It's a small number. It's an intimate tour. And, you know, it's we're, like too, too big of a class size for a private school, but okay yeah. if you went to public school. The really great thing about the breweries we visit, they're in the countryside. You know, these are southern Belgium, northern France. There's no train systems to get there. It, good luck with a map and a car to even find these places. Uh, and they're family breweries. They're farmhouse breweries. They're authentic farmhouse breweries. They're farmers. And there's nothing like it. Um, it there's no culture like that here in the States. Not, I mean, there's there's you go to Vermont and New Hampshire, there's some very quaint places that brew beer, but they haven't been there for 150 years or more. Uh, you know, these are generational farmhouse breweries, and they're making brilliant, authentic uh, traditional so they, styles. They didn't stop in the 20th century. They kept going. Well, some of them, uh, particularly in France, and were interrupted by some wars, but um, they you know, picked it back up once the wars were over. 
you know, and it goes often from from father to son, father to daughter. Um, right now, uh, Thierrier in northern France. Daniel Thierrier is uh, my set to retire, and his mm. daughter Clara is t- has taken over. Um, and then we also at at Blogy, um, uh, that was that, that now their son has taken over brewing. So you know, it, it's it's keep kept in the family, and you know they might have a, a couple of part time workers, maybe one other full time worker, but for the most part. You know, it's a family affair, um, and it's it's as Bob was saying. You, you just don't see that that and the the history you behind know, one, it. One thing about when you guys were importing, I got to taste all these little beers, and for me, they they're my favorites, and it's really spoiled me. Tiria's extra and Blauschies and everything. What, what are those breweries like? I mean, like again, the the, the brewing systems. It, it, you know, what, what what are they doing that's different from what we're doing here? Most of the breweries we visit in in France and Belgium now have modernized to an extent. Um, some are still brewing on older systems, but many have realized like you know just equipment breakdown or they've expanded. Uh, Oberon, for example, started out um, brewing basically in the back of their restaurant. They opened up a restaurant. It was a former cafe. Uh, Alain Bayou had uh, had bought it, started a restaurant, and decided to re- to brew there. They expanded. Their expansion was basically adding a couple of tanks. I mean, it was really, you know, the footprint of the new brewery is still incredibly tiny. But because they expanded, they have all new equipment there. Um, Blogy also went from brewing in their garage, I mean, literally in their garage, the, to now they have a new brewery building, which, again, is not that large. But it is much more modern than what they're originally brewing on. And you can date the, the part of the, the tour is looking at the old brewery and, you know, it's fascinating to see that they were brewing on this antiquated kind of, you know, put together with you know, ingenuity. Uh, so and also you can meet the dogs, the generational. Every time the, the, the farm dog <laughs> passes away, there's a new farm dog with the new name or same name, rather new dog, same name. Um, that's kind of vibe you get there. But, yeah, the, sometimes you'll get these facilities that have very old antiquated equipment which is and it still works you know so a lot of them have side jobs i think about even like small farmers in this country that one of the sometimes they have a side job and they they keep the farming going i mean uh blue for example they were school teachers um marie noel i forgot what she taught pierre alex uh was i believe a, a like a not quite a gym teacher but did sports um so they did brewing as a part-time thing. They've since retired from school and now, and again, their son is doing the brewing. And I think he's doing that full time for most of them. I think it is their, some of them, it is their job, but they might not brew every day. For example, isn't one of the Blaugy, uh, I guess, siblings, did they open a restaurant across the street? Yeah. So the brother has a restaurant across the street where we have a meal. Uh, one brother does the brewing one. The other brother does the cooking. Um, and it's you. You get very well fed on the Belgium and France tour for sure. Depending on the year, though, this year we're uh, having lunch at Oberon uh, next year instead of Blogi, which is Oberon along a very picturesque stream. You know, you, you really can't beat yeah. it. There's, it. It's it's not it's not like uh, visiting a brewery here. And this is the whole point: is that everything about it is different. And this is the reason we travel, and this is the reason we encourage people to travel. And especially to travel with. This us. is like if you went to a small family farm that made re- really good products, and they serve you lunch. 
I'm, I'm trying yeah, to get her. I'm trying the, to get. How would you? And, because and, uh, for us, breweries are, are big. Their technology, they, they, whether they're a warehouse or a factory vibe. You know, I'm sorry, America, but a lot of your breweries are not that interesting. But, <laughs> well, no, but the point is, we uh, they, uh, we've been talking a few minutes about uh, Oberon or Blaugy or Thierrier. Uh, these are people that when my brother first went over there, he was led there by people like uh, Ivan Debetz from Del now from Del SN, kind of a well-known guy. But he was just exploring things because he was a new importer and trying to find the best things he could find, like the most authentic things. And these people were just started starting out, a lot of them at the time, and they were almost nothing. And now they're big things and so, they expand and those days, how much how much if they're that small how could they ever export to the united states oh because we well we can go up, talk about that for a long time we uh did things that were not uh very business wise but they were how they were, could they forget all that <laughs> what did they do just give you a pallet and yeah, say you I mean, can literally them, yes we would get so you, yeah. they were willing to sell to you and it didn't Shelton matter if you were there or you could have been in England, right? Shelton Brothers didn't do things like any other business would do. We, I, I used to be in charge of Spain, Jimmy, not long ago, and I would have a pallet shipped between three breweries in the country of Spain. Said, you put four kegs on there, you put five, you put eight, and then we'll consolidate it And 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 because I want beer from you guys. And this is what we did. And in the end, our business model was a little too uh, adventurous, but uh, it made a lot of people happy that they could get it these was happy, things. But I don't want to talk about that as much as why <laughs> these breweries would, would do it and that, that well, you could actually get the beers. Because we amazing. begged for it. We, we begged them we to asked, do it. We said, yeah. we love this beer. Yeah, we yeah. know other people who will love this beer. Please send us some. They were surprised. And they said, yeah. oh, well, you know, we mostly. And a lot of these breweries also, for example, in northern France, I mean, it's changed now, but when we first started importing these beers, you couldn't even get these beers in Paris. They were just very regional, very local. Um, and so they're like, yeah, you know, we can brew an extra batch for you and send you a couple orders a year, you know, amounting to maybe yeah, they, they were surprised you know, five pallets at most a year. They were surprised that anybody would be that interested. And this was the uh, response my brother had when he first started doing it was like, why are you so interested in this? When we first went to uh, Dree Fontainen, which is now – a huge company and everybody knows about it. And it's like, oh, it's a big place, right? Uh, my brother first went there. The first time we went on the tour, they said, we were basically not sure if we were going to survive. We were a blender. We were, And then a big tall guy from America came, Dan Shelton. And then things just sort of changed because his attitude was, this is great stuff. It should be out there. And this is what happened in the 90s. And so we're just trying to bring that vibe back. And these people, it was really a new thing back in those days. And now it's established, but people don't realize that these are really small people just doing what they like to do. And this is what we want people to experience firsthand. I love that. I mean, we're all here because of those beers that, that you guys brought to America. And I'm missing them. And I know that you can still get them, them now. But again, Some of them. the French and Belgian tour. I'm going to Franconia. You know I'm going one day. Robin's taking me. I think that <laughs> Pete's, Pete's going to run a motorcycle. And uh, Bob might, might come. But he won't tell me because he doesn't tell me things. I don't know. I'll tell you whatever you want to know. All right. So tell me, okay, beers we've tasted. Transmitter pills. It tastes really good. I like the style. Just a few words about that beer. Besides that, it's just Bohemian pills. It's really a, a great bargain for the quality. Not, we, I think we talked enough about our no, beer. No, but you, you, you got to sell It's the old school. Beer on toast. It's, what, is this, what is the old school quality of it? That's different from other pills I'm getting in the states. Why should I buy it? Well, for one, it's made in Brooklyn, and if you know, if that's not reason enough, I don't know what is. Uh, 
you know, Transmitter, we're a very small brewery, uh, focused on quality above all things. Um, you know, the recipes are researched thoroughly. Um, you know, we don't release any beers until they're ready. And, you know, I'm the, I'm the sales guy. I don't have anything to do with anything except trying to sell the beer. And they don't tell me when the beer is going to be ready. They, you say, we'll tell you when it's ready. So, and it, it, it could take six weeks, eight weeks. It takes as long as it takes. So they're not concerned about, um, you know, rushing things to market. You know, everything takes as much time as it takes. The quality of the ingredients is top, you know, top quality, whatever it costs, that's what they do. Um, I don't know. That's, that's what the whole credo is uh, at, at Transmitter. So if you're getting a transmitter beer that's a traditional style, you can rest assured that it's been researched thoroughly. And, um, you know, we're, we're trying to make the best rendition version of that style as we can. I'd like to know what Pete was pouring from Rockaway. We had something and don't be shy, Pete. tell us what it yeah, was. It's a Hefeweizen. So it's, it's not a German Hefeweizen, but that is a, you know, a style from Bavaria where Franconia is. So I thought it would be apropos. Um, it's a... Uh, it's, a, it's a, they're very simple, crushable, you know, delicious beers that are yeast driven. Like this is not a hoppy. It's not an IPA. It's, it's all about yeast character with this, this yeast strain gives you that banana and clove, uh, you know, this signature aromatics and flavor. And it's, it's very light. It's, you know, high portion of wheat and, uh, some Pilsner malt and, it's got a little German hops in this, a little Hellertau Blanc to spice it up a bit, but it's it's all about the yeast. Pete, I, I like you're on. The, you're gonna hear a lot from Pete uh, in this fall because we were talking about sakis and rice beers last week. That'll be coming out. And and Bior, um, I'm so happy that you're back on the show. You know, to, to people that know that you've been on over 40 shows and we've covered. Has it been everything. that many? But you, you, usually, whatever beer, just so you guys know. Beer is someone that any beer that she ever brought me, I bought for Jimmy's number 43 and I drank a lot of. So um, I trust her palate and her knowledge. Um, last thing with this Belgium France tour, just give us, tell me why I should go on it. Because I want to go because I know you guys. But if, if I didn't know you guys, I wouldn't, why would I go? Because you'd want, want to know us. No, we, I mean, it's we're, we're slightly irreverent. Uh, Bob... He is one of the co-hosts on the Belgian France tour, and he comes up with limericks on the fly, <laughs> entertains the bus as we go along. Um, you know, you can't beat the cuisine in Belgium. Uh, as I, I've lived in Belgium, as the Belgians say, you know, it's uh, it's the food is as good as the French, but without the attitude, uh, which uh, I can attest to. You know, we go from some more modern, for example, uh, Joel was mentioning Yvonne de Bats from Brasserie de la Seine who now has a very modern brewery. Uh, however, he's a fantastic beer. beers like Tyrus Bulba. Tyrus Bulba, yeah. Um, and uh, he's, so he's, um, but he's a beer historian. So he knows so much about the history of Belgian beer. He's really come up with some, he's done a lot of a deep dives into Cezans and Grisettes and those sorts of uh, more farmhouse styles. So he knows a lot, So, but makes beers that are approachable that he wants to drink, but that are also more reminiscent, even though the brewery is a, a spotless modern facility, similar to what you would go if you went on a brewery tour in the U.S., similar to what you'd see here. Um, but he's brewing beers that have a, a more of a history of, like, say, pre-1950s, when a lot of Belgian beers became very sweet, very al uh, alcoholic. So we go from that to something like, uh, you know, Blogy or Thierry or Baron, which are in very small, tiny areas. 
Um, and, you know, Joel and I are working on the, the 2024 itinerary and trying to figure out which meals we're going to include and who's going to, you know, who's going to feed us. And uh, and then we also go to EPRO where we do a little bit of World War One history. Um, you know, we don't we, we also try to incorporate you know histories of the region as well, uh, cultural aspects, the food, the people. Uh, so we're planning on visiting some a World War One cemetery simply to say, like, there's a lot that goes on in this area. Um what else are we planning on for 2024, Joel? I don't know. Jimmy, tell me not to say anything. Okay. <laughs> I talk too much. No, uh, for, for me, it's it's sort of the vibe of the tour. We we go to places that we worked with. It's not, uh, we don't go to the greatest hits in any of our tours. It's not interesting to us. It's interesting to us to go visit our friends. And our friends happen to be in high places. Uh, the small producers that we really cared about and still care about. And this is the vibe. And as BR mentioned, it's irreverent because we know these people and we're just sort of wacky people. BR and Bob and I, we will we'll joke about a lot of things. It's very personal and it's uh, it's like a family. You get on the bus and we're a family and it, it's just the whole thing is is different, I think, than probably that people would expect the tour to be. And uh, it's hard to promote it until you've been on it. And I'm sure people who've been on it can, can probably say they didn't know what it'd be like until they've been there. But uh, I encourage people to to give it a try. And Robin can tell you, maybe he had no idea what it was like until he went it. Now he has a better idea. I will say it's amazing. I really want to do the, 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 the Belgian France thing uh, because all these things you've heard about stylistically and historically until you're there and you have your first actual Keller beer, you don't know what a Keller, uh, a Keller beer is. You know, like all the, the the history behind it or the culture behind it, like all these things just like fall in place finally that you've heard about. But until you're there and you're seeing it and you're drinking it and you're hanging out with the people and you get in the history, it just it's just obscure until you're there. And it's an amazing experience. I think the name is, you know, it tells the story. It's like Inner Circle. You will never have an experience like you will on this tour if, if you if you you know brought out a map and and went to every single brewery and every restaurant you'll never have the experience they're they, like they said like family and they're 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 welcome with open arms and you're you're going to get the full kimono from everyone that you know that, all the what, operators what I love about and owners these beers you know. that you the places you guys will be visiting or that these are the reasons i drink beer i i started in this business at wine i i on my own i'm not i wasn't a beer drinker i don't walk in and buy a beer I only buy, buy special beers, and I can never define them myself, but that's why you guys are here. We're going to end this by telling me why I like these beers, because, you know, if, if, over the years I had a lot of customers at Jimmy's Number 43, and they wanted to drink these beers, but there were women, there were people that don't fit the profile of beer drinkers. And I, I care because I, I hear about the beer industry and people are talking about numbers, but I will say that if someone walks in and doesn't usually drink beer, I don't think that a sour off your tap is what they want to drink. The beers that we're talking about, especially like these the Blaugies and, and De La Seine and some of some of some of the German like Land beers and Kelly beers, are what everybody liked that that never liked beer. So wh- what are we missing? But w- how would I define these beers, James? You're going to help me, and then Robin, because you have to sell beer all the time, and you're a great bartender <laughs> at Wild East. But I, I mean, I think what everybody's been talking about this whole session is is the fact that it's the story. You know, it, it's the people. I. Uh, beer can be whatever you want it to be, you know. Uh, yeah, and, and, and the flavors are amazing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but when you put so all I can that be a together, wine drinker and drink these beers, and I don't, I don't have to say I, I, I'd rather have wine, and usually it's not a good wine. 
Yeah, but in, in I, and I'm, I, have, I have to tell you guys this now. The industry, I'm, I don't always talk about industry, but most places I go now, I'm not talking about places that you guys work at. Most places I go, I don't want to drink the beer, and I, I suffer for the wine. And I'm, I'm not getting good good quality product in most places in America, and it's kind of sad right now for me because I feel like that so much of we've dedicated our lives to having you know a decent quality drink in in your glass, and I think that's that's the big industry problem, and I feel like. When people talk about having hard seltzers and things, I think that there's really not a lot of choices until you until you experience it the way that you you guys are talking about, and that's what changed my life, and that's why I I I, I sold good beer for 12 years. But the culture in Europe is different, Jimmy, and this is the point, uh, and this is why I like to go there also personally, because I can't afford to go out in New York to be honest. Uh, for what I get, this is just for me, you know. I'm not in everybody's shoes. But you go to Europe and you get high quality stuff for much less. It's part of the culture that you have to get good stuff wherever you People go. People talk about and the it's price not of a, drinks. It's not a privilege all the time, bro. Yeah, it's not a privilege to drink it's, over there. It's a big deal. Yeah, and and I think it. I'm I'm not an expert on what's going on in the business in America or New York or anything, but I do notice that when I go uh, travel over to, to Europe, wherever I go, I get really really good stuff for way way less than I get here. And this is just like a, a human thing, right? You, you want to get good stuff for less money. And the culture there is just different, I think. And uh, that's, what it's, that's what it's at at the moment. And I think uh, if you go on a tour like this, uh, you, can, you can sort of get a little bit of vibe with that. And, you know, we can make it easier for you because we can take you to places you won't see very easily. And then it, what is it about the beers? Is it small batch? Is, is it the styles? Just somebody help, help me understand why I like these beers that you guys visit that you guys used to import more than just a typical beer at a bar i think just across the board these are really well executed beers very very well made beers that's just the bottom line i think uh you know uh, the shelton brothers they did an excellent job of cultivating a portfolio uh which kind of accentuated you know all, all of that um and i think with the inner uh, inner circle beer tours, it's just kind of taking that um, just to another level, and the fact that you're actually getting to visit these places and and having that experience firsthand. And part of it is also they they don't follow trends. You know that this is what we've been doing for a hundred years, and it served us well. So why should we do anything different? You know, we we'll might modify the recipe a bit or upgrade our equipment, but you know we don't need to do ten hazy IPAs because. That's, you know, our customers enjoy the styles that we're doing. I'll just relate one moment, one experience in the last time I went to the Belgium-France tour. It was at Thierrier, which is a really great family brewery in a tiny town located in the, the northwest of France. And I'm thinking of I'm thinking of the room where we had lunch and it was a buffet and it was all local artisanal food, fresh made bread from the local baker, fresh meats from the local butcher, fresh cheeses from the fromagerie. And to them, it was nothing. It was like, well, that's what we eat. And everyone's looking at this like, wow, this is like a gourmet meal. It's like, no, it's just lunch. <laughs> but And it's served with beer that you think, wow, this is incredible beer. And they're like, it's just our beer. So for them, it's normal living. But you know, when you go there, from the states it's like wow holy cow this is really something special you can't get anywhere but there true like we get a lot of interpret like american interpretations of the style of beer or this or that but until you're actually there it's just like whatever dude this is what we do every day and you're like this is one of the best things on the planet and you and, the, and this is just part of your daily life your culture robin 
what's one thing you want to go back to Franconia for? Oh my God, all of it. Oh, I definitely want to go back. I would, I would go back to that that Keller experience, <laughs> the, the private Keller, and hang out in the woods and kill another five barrels in a heartbeat. And then, how, and just so we understand, from the time they took that, got that barrel and and left it in the cellar, how long was it there before you drank it? To the best of my, I don't think that they're actually, I don't think they fermented. They, they're not lagering it there the entire time. It depends on the weather, actually, Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, it used for hundreds of years. This is an interesting segue, but uh, global warming, or if you believe in it, has affected even this. In that, uh, it's it may be a little too hot for the cave, so they sort of do it. It's like a affectation at this point. They do it in their cellars at home, but they bring it up to the cellars because that's the beautiful place to drink the beer. So uh, it's a couple of weeks, I think, more or less. I mean, you get you you know you need a minimum amount of time to take a lager wort and and make it into some kind of beer and they can let it sit there forever if they want that's just up to them and as as robin said they winged it they started bringing all these little kegs of different sizes because these americans were chugging a lot of beer pete your favorite moment from franconia years ago uh besides the autobahn um <laughs> on, on a motorcycle but uh, um yeah that's a tough one everything like robin said it was amazing the entire time. But the Elk, Elk Brow Brewery, the brewery, it was just perfect. Like, I'll never forget that experience and that and those beers that I had at that brewery. On and that, James, on one that. reason you actually want to go to Franconia or the Belgian and France tour. So <coughs> ICB uh, tours. Right, yes. So ICB tours. <laughs> or beer on tour. There we are. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to suck the romance out of the room right now. I'm a very dry personality. I have no personality. But one of the big <laughs> things about this is, you know, I, I am a person who builds my travel itinerary, you know, around breweries and beers and the likes. Um, what app do you use, James? So I, I don't use an app, you know. Uh, but but what I will say about this is time and again, especially in Belgium, you know, I've I've set forth an itinerary and it's just kind of fallen flat because the brewery's just not open, um, the, the places I want to go. And so to be able to kind of link into a group that is is very good at what they do and they're, they're giving me an experience that is something that I will never get, you know, if I were to do it by myself. That's that's reason enough to want to go. Eh, these people are all right too, so it wouldn't be bad to hang out with them, you know. But outside of that, it's just you you know that you're going to be having a, a really full and a really re- enriching experience by by jumping on one of these tours. Well, then a lot of these places, uh, going to what James was saying, is for example, Oberon. I think they're open Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's when their restaurant is open. I mean, certainly they have a little shop. You can buy local products, but we, they'll open for us on a Monday or you know Thierry. For, you know, the same thing. They're open on the weekends or to buy beer. Their tasting room, it's not like American breweries where you just show up and there's a tasting room. A lot of these places don't have an actual tasting room that is open to the public. You've got to make an appointment or a reservation. Um, you know, they open up for us. And, you know, with open arms, when we went in uh, 2022 to Belgium, France, the f- after you know, not having been there for three years, it literally like people were almost in tears. They were just so happy, like, you know, coming out with hugs and the people on the tour are just like, wow, like these people know you like, well, of course they know us, you know, we've been working with them for so long, but it was like friends and family, like a reunion. We hadn't seen them in so long. And, um, it's just, it, it, it comes through and just their enthusiasm for seeing us, seeing our guests. And they're just, they're still kind of surprised that people want to come and see us, um, and, or want to see them. They, they, they just, they're like, wow, you want to come and see, you know, this is, 
I do my job. I'm a baker. I'm a butcher. I'm a, you know, a stockbroker or whatever. You want to see my job. This is what I do. And well, thanks for coming to see us. But this is how it started is they were surprised. Why were we so interested in them? And uh, because we're fascinated with the best things in the world. And that's how Shelton Brothers started. And that's what I'm trying to keep going with this with this company. And I think you, it doesn't make any sense till you actually go, Jimmy. So I don't know what else we have to do to twist your friggin' arm, Jimmy. A limited Cantillon bottles? I don't know. He's angling for a free trip. Let's face it. And it's timing, but <laughs> all right, you guys, you guys were awesome. You know, we've got the seeds of many other shows. In fact, the, the one I want to talk about is <clears throat> this is a, the Oktoberfest time of year, which and, and even years ago. The best ago, time of year, Jimmy. I was getting the small Shelton brother gravity casts of lawn beers and Keller beers and all this other stuff. So I feel like we did Franconia is like the real, even though it's not Oktoberfest, if you want that real German experience, it's probably a place to go. And the same thing with, with the Belgian France tour. The, the, these are the beers that uh, inspire people. But again, it, it's what makes people fall in love with small batch, really well-made traditional beers and, and why I love the beer so much. So um, thank you guys so much for joining me. BR, you want to say anything else? Because you've been one of our best guests ever, and I always Thanks respect the work you Thanks for having me back. Yeah, and Bob? We love you, Jimmy. No funny jokes today or anything? <laughs> no, I, I'm on a tight leash. James? <laughs> it's always great being here, and typically BR is like right next to me, so <laughs> the fun times. Pete? Yeah, thanks for having me, and looking forward to the Czech Inner Circle beer tour. <laughs> oh, Robin? Been a fan for many years. It's a pleasure to be on the show. And where do you work mostly again? Uh, Wild East. Wild yeah. East Brewing in uh, Gowanus, uh, Brooklyn. And thanks for bringing the, Tell us the two beers you brought again. I brought the uh, Patience and Fortitude, double decocted, Czech pills. And I brought the Moderance, which is a English pub ale. That's great. And we're going to have you back, one, to talk about the way you interact with customers and sell beer. And two, about your Lucapore. I would be delighted. All right. Jimmy, uh, by the way, uh, I never would tell you this, but I always tell people that my favorite thing back in the days when we, uh, Shelton Brothers still existed, my favorite place to ever go in New York was Jimmy's 43 for a variety of reasons. And that's nothing taken away from anybody else, but it was magical. And you're always special to me. And I know you're special to all of us, the Shelton Brothers and beyond. Well, I just want to say you you guys were part of that. And, you know, like many things, um, sometimes just working in a place and, if you're making food, you're, you're, you're serving people. It does. It, it, it that's what hospitality is, and it does take on a life of its own. And uh, that's why I'm always a fan of this, the small independently owned businesses, the small independently owned breweries and cideries and other things, because there, there's an experience you get from that, which I think you probably get from the inner city beer tours that you can't get even once you have more than one location or something else. And it's kind of priceless. Doesn't work in a market economy, but you know what? Why not? You know, so let's life just is go short. For it, life is right? short. All right. So thank you guys so much for joining me again. Thanks. Armis Benjamin, our engineer. It's nice being back in the studio here at Roberta's. Big shout out to Brandon Hoy and the Roberta's Pizza folk for keeping this place going with all this, the silly things that happen. Um, but we have a great Heritage Radio Network. It's going to be the 15th year. Probably going to be a new director soon. There's going to be a lot of noise. If you're here on October 18th, if this is, this is even out by then, stop by. We'll probably be tasting some mezcals here with some of the other Heritage Radio Network hosts at 6 o'clock. But um, otherwise, stay tuned. Keep up with Jimmy Pots and Pans. We've got a lot of festivals coming up. Cider Feast, which will, again, probably be done by the time you read this, but CiderFeastHQ.com. 
um, bolazola.com and our fun stuff like brisket king. So thanks so much, everybody. All right, we'll catch you next time. I'm really happy. We're going to hang out, have pizzas, and eat, and drink more beers at Roberta's Pizza. Thanks for coming to Beer Sessions Radio. All right, bye. Woo, thank Cheers. you. Cheers. Right. Awesome. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.